I don't know what to say, really. Three minutes to the biggest battle of our professional lives all comes down to today. Either we heal as a team or we're going to crumble. Inch by inch, play by play, till we're finished. We're in hell right now, gentlemen. Believe me. And we can stay here, get the shit kicked out of us, or we can fight our way back into the light. We can climb out of hell. One inch at a time. Now, I can't do it for you. I'm too old. I look around, I see these young faces, and I think, I mean, I made every wrong choice a middle-aged man can make. I, uh, I pissed away all my money, believe it or not. I chased off anyone who's ever loved me. And lately, I can't even stand the face I see in a mirror. You know, when you get old in life, things get taken from you. I mean, that's, that's, that's part of life. But you only learn that when you start losing stuff. You find out life's this game of inches. So is football. Because in either game, life or football, the margin for error is so small. I mean, one half a step too late or too early, and you don't quite make it. One half second too slow, too fast, you don't quite catch it. The inches we need are everywhere around us. They're in every break of the game, every minute, every second. On this team, we fight for that itch. On this team, we tear ourselves and everyone else around us to pieces for that inch. We claw with our fingernails for that inch. Because we know when we add up all those inches, that's going to make the fucking difference between winning and losing. Between living and dying. I'll tell you this, in any fight, it's the guy who's willing to die who's going to win that inch. And I know if I'm going to have any life anymore, it's because I'm still willing to fight and die for that inch. Because that's what living is. The six inches in front of your face. Now, I can't make you do it. You got to look at the guy next to you. Look into his eyes. Now, I think you're going to see a guy who will go that inch with you. You're going to see a guy who will sacrifice himself for this team because he knows when it comes down to it, you're going to do the same for him. That's a team, gentlemen. And either we heal now as a team or we will die as individuals. That's football, guys.
That's all it is. Now, what are you going to do? Hello, Fudilians. Uh, welcome to Fcast, a football podcast. Uh, once again, I am Mayuk, and with me, uh, I have got Orko. Hi, I am Mayuk. Hi, so, Fudilians. So we both are back uh, with with uh, another episode, uh, which we wanted to do. Uh, and having said that, uh, so today uh, we would be talking. Actually, this is a uh, this is a uh, this is a topic which is very close to both of our hearts. So this is uh, basically a episode on the underdogs, the underdogs of football, the minnows, who challenged the big names of the game, and eventually turned the tables upside down. And as we all know, uh, and 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 all all with the start of the new season, we saw so many upsets going on every now and then. So I think that we felt this is the perfect time to tell about three of the greatest upsets in the history of football. So I will now pass it on to Orko to elaborate. All right. So season from the start, and the EPL season specifically has given us some wonderful games, right, Mayu? Yes. Uh, I know you have been on the other end of some results, but Absolutely. you, the, but even the quality of football has been, I mean, tremendous to watch. I mean, for a spectator, even for a neutral fan. on matches like aston villas newcastles everton and they're just having a fine time and a special and, mention uh, leeds united definitely and so yeah. with the season that has been going on we came up through this uh, story that broke on the internet that the last time uh, manchester united conceded 6 and liverpool conceded 7 in the same season which happened a few weeks back Uh, Everton was the champions, and Mayuk, you would like to add something? Yeah, absolutely. And we have uh, we can really see the uh, Everton team in such a great shape, which we have never seen before. And with uh, with the arrival of Don Ancelotti, and and with the transfer of uh, a quality player like James Rodriguez being added to the squad, I think uh, I think Everton is looking like a completely different unit. and uh, they are looking like a well uh, just just the uh, way orco like saying well oiled machinery uh, where every functions of every individuals is very specified and and, right. and in 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 a properly integrated system and which which uh, even the likes of liverpool cannot decode which which we can see so but but exactly uh, so so we'll plan about that episodes uh, a year later probably but so today we'll talk about three stories a greek odyssey the foxes fearless foxes 
the story of Leicester City and the Danish Dynamites, the story of Denmark in the 1992 European Championships. Yeah, I think so uh, as because we'll start Leicester, off with yeah, uh, the Leicester was uh, probably the most recent one, so I think most of the people can relate to that. So let's start with the Leicester one. Why, uh, so uh, also you can start. Yeah, so the Leicester will just start. So it was the story of the fearless foxes, the Leicester City fairy tale. Uh, Leicester City, where had just survived the relegation battle the previous season. And the next season, they went on to become champions of England, the very coveted trophy of Premier League. So it started a year before, in 2012 13 where they failed to qualify for the promotion uh, to Premier League from the League One, the second division of English football. And they lost in a very heartbreaking manner to Watford. I mean, many of us have seen the replays of Troy Deeney scoring a goal, breaking the Foxes' hearts to send Watford to the promotion to Premier League. And Leicester had to stay back in the League One and one more season. And they had to compete again and come back to the Premier League the next season. Nigel Pearson was the manager who also was very pivotal in the role to save Leicester City from the relegation the next season. That is the 2014-15 season. They had to win five out of nine matches to stay alive in the Premier League for the upcoming season. And they managed to do that. The team survived, but the manager didn't. And next season, Claudio Ranieri was appointed as the new manager. Uh, like Claudio Ranieri, the man who was very instrumental in uh, laying the foundations on which Mourinho uh, brought home the trophies for Chelsea. Right, Mayu? Absolutely. So it was. Uh, the story ranges back to 2015-16 season in the Barclays Premier League. So, Orko just gave, gave a background on uh, what the actual picture of Leicester was. Uh, having said that, uh, uh, very little was expected of Leicester at the start of the season because they finished uh, um, in merely a 14th spot in the previous season. And they had also... Uh, uh, new, newly, almost a newly promoted team because they had come from the second division. So, and and another aspect of the team was that they had their uh, crowd favorite manager who was sacked, and uh, uh, Claudio Ranieri, who uh, who was not in the big league for quite some time, was was roped in for the Leicester job. So obviously they were probably five thousand is to one with the bookmakers at the start of the season. Uh, before the season kicked off, and also another funny fact about right. that. Right. Uh, another funny fact is once, uh, uh, just at the start of the league, there was a newspaper uh, report in England that there was a prediction which manager would be the first one to be sacked. And uh, surprisingly, uh, they did a survey in which most of the people thought that Claudio Ranieri was the newly appointed manager of Leicester would be the first one to be sacked. So this 
is this was uh, the background before the start of the league now also please uh, run us through how the league so as ranieri took over he answered his critics by galvanizing a team of outcasts uh, from the other premier league teams who had deemed those players not fit enough for the club and the team's team was built revolving around the sharpness and the finishing of jamie wardy and the artistic left foot of mahares they were backed ably by drinkwater and kante in the midfield kante plays for chelsea and he's quite a name in the world of football right now and yeah. they had the leadership of wesley morgan and robert huth who were the center back pair and not to forget on the left flank and also uh, supporting wardy and ujoa and the goalkeeper was kasper smichael the son of legendary goalkeeper peter smichael incidentally who was a part of the danish dynamite team so we'll get back to that and as leicester started they strung on a string of performances which were like they ended the game winning the game or drawing the game from losing positions multiple number of times probably four to five times they won from 2-0 down or 3-0 down at half time and this was a beautiful team they played some excellent football with the old school 442 formation which was which at that time was little used i mean it was an outdated formation right mayu absolutely it was uh, hi can you hear me yeah yeah so it was a totally outdated formation because uh, for long we had uh, seen managers who were uh, most of the managers were losing faith on the 442 combination then suddenly uh, claudio ranieri came and he just tried that uh, he just pulled down the trick out of his bag it seems the old trick uh, the old trick of attacking football yeah fast counter attack i mean those sounds of the uh, voices of the commentators i yeah. mean like a through ball to vardy and his scores and that continued 11 matches on a streak i mean he's Absolutely. kept on scoring so many goals like he equaled the record of rob i mean uh, root van nistelrooy yes of school right and it so, was ironically it was against manchester also yeah absolutely and so but but uh, at the end result was we saw the foxes uh, it was the foxes uh, turn to hunt in packs and become the king of the jungle and uh, and and many football pundits still believe that this is the greatest sporting story ever in the history of football uh, so having said that i think we uh, i i also want to discuss about the night they actually won the league i think uh, you must be remembering right. that or yeah it was a house party at uh, jamie wardy's house and yes. they were watching the game chelsea's game against tottenham at the yeah, at the bridge and, and tottenham the moment tottenham was uh, uh, in the second position tottenham was in the second position right. then and they just needed yeah. tottenham to lose a point just just to ensure they will win the league right and the winning goal was scored by hazard eden hazard the top i mean of an assist from diego costa that was that was a beautiful night of football i mean yeah and uh, 
so the fox's story was actually one of the best stories that has been ever told in the history of football being in a league a league is always difficult to win i mean four to five matches in a cup international cup that is okay one might have luck over a few months one month or one and a half months of football but winning a league a period of 10 months it's definitely a commendable absolutely I mean, and it takes 38 matches 38 matches uh, for the league to be complete so you have 38 matches to decide your fate and in this 38 matches you have to do a lot of things you have to counter severe opponents twice uh, you have to play a lot of other tournaments as well uh, then you have to manage the injury issues and all other issues there, there are so much concurrent issues and managing all this uh, Leicester had won the league probably with two or three matches to spare if I if I'm not wrong and yeah uh, exactly and for a team which was just qualified to the big league uh, for probably the previous year and before that they had a relegation scare in in, uh, in the second division and that team turning the tides and eventually you're turning out champions is probably one of the biggest statements one can make as a football club and that that is only possible if if you have a highly efficient team which uh, which has a common dream leaving aside all the personal all all other things in the world so i think this happens to rightly by many football pundits this is one of the greatest football stories ever all right so we'll move on to our next story the greek yeah. odyssey right absolutely so that is that is quite another story so that is a, and, and was... i i do have a lovely story to tell about that but we would come uh, just uh, we will come to that at the last but before that let's discuss some of the uh, aspects of the tournament uh, so when right, it start? was the summer of 2004 yeah that uh, young Cristiano Ronaldo had come out of the blocks and it was the tournament was in his backyard in Portugal itself and he was robbed of an opportunity of an early international success by yeah. a team of Greek gods with really unpronounceable names. Absolutely. <laughs> so Greek uh, hadn't had much success uh, before in international tournaments, but this time they, it was something different. They were destined for, uh, I mean, glory. I mean, from the initial match, they were managed by Otto Regel, the German disciplinarian. And uh, they like beat Portugal in the opening match which had the likes of uh, Figo, Cristiano Ronaldo, Deco. And then they marched on to victory when there were giants like France with Zidane, England with David Beckham, Gerard, and Rooney, uh, the Netherlands, and also Germany and Spain. In fact, they were in the group of death with yes. uh, Spain, Portugal, and Russia, which they somehow managed to qualify and then went on to become the champions like Mayuk. Absolutely. So uh, in the first match also they started with an upset because nobody thought uh, Figos and Ronaldo's Portugal would eventually lose to a side called Greece. But Greece somehow managed to defeat Portugal in the first match. But still, uh, that was still called an upset. Uh, just another match uh, which, which the 
uh, still, Greece was still not taken seriously. Suppose that they had a draw against a star-studded Spanish uh, side because we know Sp the Spain team uh, mostly comes uh, from a is mostly a combined team of Real Madrid and Barcelona, and it, it has been over the years. So uh, it, it's always uh, Spain is always always started with stars. So and to and to draw uh, and to manage to. Uh, to force a draw against the Spanish side is also not a, a small thing to achieve. And then eventually they qualified uh, to the knockouts where they were facing Zidane's France. And uh, I think uh, Zidane also had a point of proof because uh, France were out of uh, 2002 World Cup. But uh, they, they could hardly manage anything and France had to lose to, uh, France had to lose, uh, lose to Greece. And after which Zidane also had announced retirement, uh, which which he broke later on. Uh, so th this happened, and uh, I also a special mention uh, for the semi-finals against the Czech Republic. I think what a match it was, and Czech Republic was by for the most of them of team in that tournament with with such uh, agile players like uh, Rosinski, Barros, and uh, and and most importantly Paulo Nedved. Paulo Nedved, for us who uh, who follows club football, knows who Paulo Nedved is. But for people, it's pa only Pavel want... Nedved. Pa Pavel Nedved, I'm sorry, but right. yeah, Pavel Nedved, and uh, so the Juventus legend. I mean, the Juventus legend, uh, and, and also not to forget. Exactly, but uh, also not to forget that uh, they had one of the tallest strikers of all time. I mean, Jan yeah. Kohler. Remember Jan the six Kohler. feet giant? Yeah, yeah, and and, and also Peter were... Cech in goal. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the speciality of Czech Republic team was they were basically a tall team. They had mostly uh, players who were above six feet height. So that uh, that height difference was very evident in all the matches they played in Europe. And and this was one but, of the top. But it was one. also the Greek. But Greek were also a team of tall men, and and that was one of the most. Uh, efficient scoring machinery. They would score yes. from set pieces. Like yeah. most of the goals were from corners or free kicks, which were looped into the box and someone headed home. Caristius yeah. was one of the players I remember. Still, his name I mean resonates in my ears. Like yeah. every time there is an opportunity and the commentator shouting the name of Caristius and goal. And uh, you have a brilliant story to say. Yeah, but before uh, before that, let uh, the let me also we have to mention that uh, in the final when they defeated Portugal, I think that uh, that teary uh, eyed face of Cristiano Ronaldo was was very heartbreaking because I was a Manchester United and uh, I'm, I'm still a United fan. So, but watching uh, Ronaldo uh, in that that uh, in that state of mind was really very heartbreaking. But uh, having said that, coming on to the story, so this is a very interesting one. Uh, so there, there was a player called Takis Fisas, and Takis Fisas was a member of the Greece side that travelled uh, to play the Euros, and uh, and so he also had his marriage lined up on July 9, 2004, and he travelled to uh, uh, that that was held in Portugal, right? Hello? Yeah, it was Portugal. Yeah. yeah, it was. Portugal. So so it was in Portugal. So he travelled to Portugal in the in probably in mid June. And he had promised his partner Christina that he would be back probably in a week or two, and they and then they would do all the arrangements together. And he also wanted to watch the match with Christina, uh, uh, 
watch the final uh, match they had no the, hope the semi semis and they the really had no hope. yeah they, they yeah. never thought and uh, uh, none of uh, let's forget the world none of the players in the greece team thought because all of them were invited to the wedding so and none of them thought they would actually make it so july 4 2004 five days to his wedding he didn't come back breaking the promise because because to, because he was playing the euro final for greece and and that was one of the hilarious moment and uh, and and they won the final that day and then they came back to greece and he probably came to his wedding two days prior and the entire team came and and the trophy was kept uh, in that wedding banquet hall uh, and and surprise one one funny thing is uh, people say that uh, the the uh, guests who came took more photos with the trophy than with the bride and the groom so i think fans are really crazy yeah exactly and who wouldn't love that on their wedding table like yeah wow and, so the and, next story yes yes please the on. next story is about the danish dynamite the team which even didn't qualify for the tournament came on to win the european championship uh, yeah. and with us with a yeah. very well organized squad which and, picked and, up from the and also in a situation also in a situation just to cut you uh also in a situation where the entire europe continent was in a turmoil because the disintegration of ussr had just happened uh and then right. they, and then uh, we saw and and it was a uh, biggest turmoil after the second world war uh and uh, yeah it was the peak of cold war if i'm not mistaken the absolutely. breaking down of the, yeah. germany had reunified and uh, and and most importantly there was a state of civil war in yugoslavia which barred them from playing the 1992 european championship because they had right. qualified ahead of denmark but being right. being barred from the tournament that gave denmark out of qualification to the tournament yeah they were they were second in line i mean they were the yeah. uh, best uh, the best third place team from a group i guess absolutely so uh, and obviously uh, very little was expected of them because they had a very poor start with a 0-0 draw against england and then they uh, they, uh, they they were defeated by sweden and uh, they had a must win match against france uh, uh, so that was a must win match for them and surprisingly they were pitted against all, all the hosts of the tournament because so there were three hosts uh, sweden france and england all three of them were hosts and uh, denmark was pitted against them and in the must win match against france uh, somehow sweden managed to win and qualify to the next round and uh, where they uh, played against netherlands i think that that is also one of the most talked about matches because uh, we all know the quality of or the or the strength the uh, dutch side had those days and uh, right it and, was uh, root gullet yeah. and Rijkaard, Van Basten, uh, like, and, and that match is also a, a, a very uh, a notable match because uh, uh, this uh, Denmark side, the Danish side, uh, managed to hold uh, man- managed to hold the uh, Dutch side two two, and uh, which was followed uh, and at the tiebreakers followed 
and one uh, Marco Van Basten, who is an absolute legend of the game, had actually missed a penalty in the tiebreakers, uh, which contributed to the Danish win in the semi-finals. And definite uh, and and uh, and after that, the goalkeeper of Netherlands, uh, a goalkeeper of Denmark, became an overnight star. And after that, he after a few years, he was bought by Manchester United. We all know that. And uh, now coming on to the final, the big one, uh, the final one, uh, the final was against Germany, and Germany was the defending champion in 1990 uh, World Cup. They had, uh, they just one-sidedly had won the World Cup, and they, we all know how stars started with they, with the likes of Lothar Matthäus and Jürgen Klinsmann and uh, Rudy Boller and 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 so many big names. Right. But but they also managed to pick the mighty germans and uh, which which was termed by uh, which was called an absolute shocker by many many uh, european newspapers the very next day and uh, and, and that, that was something completely out of the park that any team which did, didn't even qualify uh, for the 92 euros managed to uh, manage to leave all the teams behind and win, win the tournament and that that uh, after that that uh, inspired the cash-rich European clubs to just uh, run after the Danish players. So, isn't it just splash the cash? Absolutely, and, and uh, so Denmark completely broke all the shackles, isn't it? Right. It was a flying uh, team. I mean, they were on vacation. Most of them were called back from vacation when uh, Yugoslavia was banned, and to be out of touch with football, being on vacation. I mean, there is always an element of uh, match fitness that always comes into big tournaments. So, uh, having been out of touch, then coming back into the uh, tournament and then going on to beat some of the legendary teams of the era to win the tournament as underdogs was a brilliant achievement overall. So, to round off, we had three sensational stories. We will like to be back with more. We appreciate your support. Make sure you all stay safe and, uh, and keep listening to it. Thank you so much. Thank you.